Uh, God is faithful. God is good. It is funny. We're going to be in Psalm 23. Here's why it's funny. Uh, It's funny that as I was studying Psalm 23, I was supposed to preach it two weeks ago, and as I was kind of looking at the text where it says, he makes me lie down in green pastures, uh, if you read that, the shepherds actually would sometimes break the legs of sheep who were stubborn or didn't rest or to avoid trouble. So I literally was telling Peter about this as we were playing like 10 minutes before it happened, and after it happened, he, he leans over, he's like, bro, no way. God got you. I'm like, dang it. So uh, he made me lie down in green pastures the last uh, two weeks, but, but it's good to, good to be back. Let me uh, just give uh, one word of uh, announcement for you, really excited about. Um, one of the values here uh, as a people is that we desire to be mission-driven, so we want to thoughtfully engage the life and mind of people around us as a way to glorify God, love Jesus, and love others. And so one of the ways we want to help all of us be equipped in that is we're going to offer a little bit of summer school and apologetics class uh, that's going to be for five weeks, Tuesday nights. 7 p.m. Uh, that we're going to teach, uh, just kind of answer uh, some of the great questions of, I mean, why, how can I even believe that Christianity is true? Uh, what are some of the, the greatest objections to the gospel of Jesus Christ? What are, how can I stand in confidence in that? How do I winsomely and wisely engage those uh, around me who don't think like me and in ways that we can see them ultimately brought to a saving knowledge of Jesus? And so uh, whether you're a seeker, skeptic, doubter, new Christian, growing Christian, I'd say this is a great opportunity for you. You can register online for that. Uh, the first one will kick off Tuesday, July 31st, uh, and that'll run to the end of August. So uh, just mark that down. Another way of prayer, I want us to pray together before we, we dive into Psalm 23. Pastor Wilson is uh, one of the pastors and church planners that we uh, support regularly down in Haiti. And uh, if you're aware of Haiti right now, they, they raised fuel prices, which created a ton of unrest, tons of riots. Uh, it's just total chaos. Uh, he actually sent me a couple of videos that just... Uh, it literally is hard to believe that's even happening. And so um, he's trying to get to Lartigue, a place that's a couple, uh, a, a good couple hours away where they can do actually their kids' VBS. It's supposed to kick off tomorrow. Uh, and so can we just pray together for him, uh, for safety, that God would still continue to move and work? Uh, he's having a really hard time. Uh, and he is a, just a faithful man, faithful pastor uh, who wants to care for those people. So uh, why don't you join me, and let's also ask God to speak to us uh, as we're here this morning. Uh, Father, thank you that you're a God that hears us. Thank you that you're, you're a shepherd. The God, you're not just a shepherd, you're our shepherd. Uh, there's intimacy there. Uh, so Father, thank you that we get to call upon you. Thank you that we get to ask you for things and needs. Thank you that we get to appeal to the omniscient one, the one who is always present and all-powerful and everywhere at all times, ruling and reigning. God, would you intervene in Haiti even in these moments? Would you meet uh, with Pastor Wilson and his team with the Holy Spirit of God, protect them, encourage them, strengthen them? Uh, Would you fill them with your courage, your peace? Would you bring rest uh, to the chaos? Uh, Would you make ways for them to get to where they need to go tomorrow? Uh, so that they can continue to advance the kingdom of Jesus Christ and, and share the good news of Jesus Christ. Um, so God, would you, would you do those things? God, would you help us in our uh, apathy here, uh, living comfortably as ones could uh, when most of the world is persecuted and under great distress for even believing the good news of Jesus? Father, would you awaken us to what's at stake? Uh, and God, would you compel us into a life that honors you more fully than it currently does. Thank you for the Psalms. Thank you that they teach us about you. Thank you that we can see Christ in every text of Scripture and help us to see it here. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Amen. Uh, Psalm 23. Psalm 23. If you have your Bible, go to Psalms right in like the middle of your middle of your Bible. Now listen, I know that even if you're new to church or this is not a, a common scene for you, that Psalm 23 is, is really a, uh, probably one of the most, if not the most famous words from David uh, in the scriptures. Uh, more songs, uh, Christian and secular, have been written about it. Uh, more writings and poetry has been written from it. Um, so this is a, a super famous uh, psalm that's, that's in the Bible. And so it's not just familiar to those in Christianity. It's familiar to those who are outside of Christianity. Um, and these words, though, were never meant to be kind of, uh, kind of gazed at from a distance but entered into. Um, so that's the problem with things that are familiar is they simply become familiar, but they don't become foundational, okay? And so uh, what, what God wants for us is these things to be our bedrock. I mean, th- this psalm is not something we want to just gaze at and see some truths. He wants you to literally start taking steps on these pages. Uh, he wants you to walk in this text like it really is yours, Okay, and I always say, man, if we're going to read the scriptures, let's, let's get into the scriptures like they're really ours. Um, so many times we read like, oh, that's for someone else. That promise is for someone else. No, this is for you and me. If we're in Christ, these truths are for us. And this is why I, I marvel more at people saved out of religion than irreligion. Now, I'm encouraged that we're seeing a lot of people uh, here, especially in the last year, saved out of religion. Uh, not the people that are like strung out on crack on the street, but the people who grew up thinking they knew Jesus Christ, grew up thinking they understood the gospel, grew up thinking they knew the character and nature of God until he uh, awakened them to, they were so inoculated just enough with Jesus to not see their need for him, right? So, so where we sit is a good place to say, hey, uh, I need to be awakened to how I'm desperate for him to be these things for me. For him to lead me beside still waters, for him to restore my soul, for him to be my good shepherd. And so uh, we're going to see these things, and that, that's what, what this does for us, because so many of us might know a lot about Jesus, but you don't know him at all. Uh, you know Jesus like I know Michael Jordan, right? Like, I mean, he, his life bears no weight on my life, but I could tell you stats, I could tell you what it looks like, I could tell you the nature of his game, I could even spit stuff at you that, that I just know because I've heard secondhand, but I don't know him. Like his, his ways, his personality, it, it bears no weight on my life. So, so in this text, Psalm 23, God wants us to know Jesus in this way. Um, he wants you to know him in a way that is meaningful. So there's basically three scenes because here's what David's going to show you. If you can get into this text here, this, this Psalm 23, if you can bathe in this reality, he says, eventually you can say with integrity, I don't lack anything. Like, if you can begin to understand these things, then, then you can say with honesty, I don't lack. Now, here's what's great about this, is here the ageless one, the creator and sustainer of the universe, is going to show you what he is like towards us. So, Psalm 23 is not so much, it's nothing you do for him, it's, it's his soul work towards you. It's what's God's view of you. See, so many of us, I feel, grow up believing this book is about us trying to live our lives proving that we love God. Uh, When really, if you read the message of this entire book, it's being more blown away by his great love for you. Uh, So it's not this, I've got to prove somehow that that I love him. It's being so blown away by the cross of Christ, the work of his gospel that you can't help but be compelled to worship his name. And so here he wants us to kind of dive into this and see that this is all God, every bit of what you're going to read is God's doing this to you. He's pursuing you with these things. You're just enjoying it. You're just the recipient. There's kind of three scenes you're going to see. Uh, one, first is he's a good shepherd. Then he's a generous host, and then he takes you to a glorious home. Good shepherd, generous host, glorious home. Look at verse one. The first thing we need to know is he's a good shepherd. 
Verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Um, first, let me help you with the, the emphasis or the thrust of this passage. Um, so many of us, when, I, when I've heard people talk about shepherd and sheep, anytime, anytime you talk about this relationship, it's usually pitted against how dumb the sheep are. Now, now we're dumb, no doubt, okay? We're morons. We, we wander where we shouldn't wander. We go after loves that we shouldn't love. We, we get in cycles of sin that we know kills us, but we continue to get involved in them. But, but here, look at the thrust of this is how good the shepherd is. It's not about how dumb the sheep are. Like, it's how amazing this God is. It's how beautiful and good this shepherd is. And so um, much of the reason we worry and fear is because um, in this life, it's because we forget that he's a shepherd. I mean, we actually forget that God is a shepherd. This is why much of um, this in this text here is speaking to the father heart of God in these initial text here. Uh, maybe this is why some of you are on the performance treadmill. You're just constantly trying to prove your love to God, trying to prove to Him that you, that you really are trying to serve Him faithfully. Uh, but God is a loving Father where what's amazing in the Bible is you start with His affection, right? Because of Christ. Uh, he's not some bad father who you're born into His family and He looks at you and goes, hmm, not quite sure uh, the type of affection I'll give you or whether I'll love you, it's predicated on how you'll behave. No good dad says that, right? I mean, you have kids. I mean, it's, it's love not conditioned on lovability, not conditioned on how they'll turn out. It's love based upon their affection towards that child. And this is the heart of the shepherd. This is what you're hearing in the background of this. You're, you're hearing this from this good shepherd God, that he is a God that starts with affections for you. No good father, when they hold their newborn, goes, if you really do a good job, I might have affection for you someday. Now, now do we not walk in this, though? That, do you believe that God is still in love with some, like, you know, future Mike Reed, right? Like, once I start finally following him and obeying some commands, and then once I start getting my life in order, then God will finally give me the affection I want. No, you start with it. Like, out of the gate, in the family of God, you start with undeniable, unshakable, unwavering affection from God. Now, what does that do to you? Makes you secure, right? It settles fears, it settles hopes, it settles longings, it settles loneliness. Much of the fear and worry, though, is we don't believe that he's a good shepherd. And so David is helping us shift from our fears to understanding who our father is. That's much of what we do. He says, you're the shepherd who knows what I need. You make me lie down in green pastures. You lead me beside still waters. He knows. Now, don't move quickly past that. Like, this is not a question of knowledge. This is not a question of mercy. This is not a question of love. This is not a question of his power. It's not a question of his ability. Forgive me, it is a question of knowledge. If God knows that you need it, then in moments of worry and desperation, we're going, I mean, does he know? Yes, he knows. He knows exactly where to lead you. He knows exactly what to provide for you. He's a good shepherd. He's intrinsically the essence of good. Like, he knows every bit of what you need. Yes, your father, in contrast to all the lifeless gods of pagan religions, knows exactly what you need, and he takes you to that place to give it to you. He leads you there. He guides you there. 
He's a protector. He's a provider. I love this. This this quenching thirst, this making us lie down. These are all things he's doing to you. (laughs) Where he's just like coming at you with these things, with these glorious things. This is the thrust of the psalm. He restores our souls, he says. Now, Now, some of us, if we're not in Christ, we need restoration from judgment. We need restoration from our sin, right? That, that judges us rightly, right? Um, but if you're in Christ, then what you might need is restoration from proclivities where you still chase lesser things, where you still love other things, where you still doubt his character. You need restoration from, into believing the aspects of his character that are true and not false. If you come to him by faith, he then gives you what? The Holy Spirit becomes like your spiritual GPS to lead you on paths that are right, paths of righteousness. We don't know where to walk. We don't know where to go. We don't know how life was really wired. We, we wake up thinking, I know how to run the world. I know how to run the universe. I know how to organize school systems. I know how to organize government. Really, we don't have a clue. God's the author and perfecter of everything, so we submit to him gladly and say, you teach me now through the resident truth teacher in me how to walk, how to live, how to see things, how to see life, how to see family. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's what this shepherd does. And at times, he makes you lie down. He'll force upon you rest. That's good. It's not unloving to break the hand that's holding on to something detrimental to the soul. He may do that in his love and grace at times because he's a good shepherd. Not because he's trying to take, he's trying to give generously. That's why it's so weird, this understanding of, you know, uh, everyone gets so angry in Genesis, saying, oh, how stingy is God that couldn't eat from the tree. He said you can have whatever you want. He says, hey, have at it. Paradise is yours. Hey, just don't eat from the one tree. He's overly generous. If you look at the character of God out of creation, he's much more generous than he ever is stingy. He's a God that says, here, enjoy Just don't do this because this will harm, this will hurt, this will cause pain. He's a good shepherd. He's a good father. Verse 4 continues to show this about him. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He protects and comforts us. This is your shepherd. Like he's not, he's not in your closet at night trying to like reveal to you and spook you out and try to like, you know, pull a wool over your eyes. He's gladly revealed truth. He's not some cosmic Easter bunny going, oh, maybe you'll find me. Maybe you'll know what I'm like. No, I I always say, man, so many people go, man, I wish God would speak to me. I always say, grab a Bible. It's free. He'll speak to you every time you open it. Like, he's revealed his word. He's already spoken through his revelation. Then he speaks through his Holy Spirit when we become believers in his name. He's never stopped speaking. He's never stopped giving revelation. He's never stopped teaching us the ways of what he's like. But this walk through the valley of the shadow of death, this is better translated into the deepest darkness. Like, like this is talking about that place that's, that just doesn't feel safe. In fact, it's possibly haunting. Now, now if we're honest, um, is this not where many of our hearts are? Those deep, dark, cavernous valleys where we feel often stuck Um, I don't know what it is for you, whether it's a temptation, an addiction, a relationship that's left you bruised, you being jobless or wishing you were jobless because you're in a job you're stuck in. I don't don't know how this kind of lands for you. We all have a place that feels dark and alone, a valley, the shadow of death. 
Um, it's natural to feel a lack, is it not? Because you just start out saying, if he's our shepherd, we, we don't lack anything. But in valleys, we sure feel like we lack, right? Now, now, why is that? Why do we feel that way? Well, because we believe while doubting. That's why we feel lack in these, in these dark, kind of cavernous areas of our life. Um, many of us need to first learn to doubt your doubts. Um, that, that's a, a beautiful uh, truth. But the second is, um, what happens is you start letting your fears shepherd you instead of the shepherd shepherd you. Um, so you're in these places where you feel stuck, and, and fear or anxiety or worry will be the very thing that, that grabs you by the arm and makes you feel comfortable. This is why if you look, even in Ezekiel, you look at uh, the way that, that, that Satan himself was kind of this protector before he fell. And, and that's why sometimes we think that we're more safe under his guise and his lies than under the good shepherd. And, and he's saying, man, you need to know that this good shepherd leads you. And so David says, no, this is the way to reality. This is the way to life. You follow the good shepherd. You don't just follow what you desire. You don't just follow your thoughts. That's that this whole, like, we, we define what we want to define. We, we just make up truth what we want to make up. No, we, we follow what he says. And that's why in this, this amazing reality, he says, he doesn't say he's a shepherd. He says, he's my shepherd. He's mine. The God of the universe, the ageless one, the creator of all things, he's yours. Right? The essence of the gospel is you get God. Yeah, you get forgiveness of sin. Yeah, you get new life. Yes, you get forever. But man, the, the, the creme de la creme is that you get God. Did you know that? that that's, if you could boil down the gospel, that's the win. <laughs> it's not that you get out of hell. It's not that you get to all of a sudden be more happy. It's that you literally get the ageless one. You get the shepherd who existed before time was made. You get God. You get the good shepherd, and he's in the valley. It's amazing. He moves from just theological to personal. God inhabits your sorrow. God inhabits your darkness with himself. This is profoundly intimate. Like, this is not some hypothetical. This is reality for those of us in Christ that he is your good shepherd, that he is actually with you in the valley, that he is actually good, that he's actually leading and protecting and guiding. And we need to work this deep into our bones so we can learn what Spurgeon said, the most precious word in this psalm is my. He's my shepherd, which means the darker the shadow, the closer the shepherd, the nearer the shepherd. Um, I love this because, I mean, you got the Stoics. They believe that God can't feel anything. You have deists that believe God created the world, wound it up, and then walked away. Uh, you have the Epicureans that believe that God lives in, like, indifferent serenity. That's not the God of the Bible. It's not the God of the Scriptures. The God of the Scriptures is described as this amazing God that is spoken of as Abba, as Daddy, as Father, as intimate as your own family. This God knows your longings, knows your fears, knows what trips you up, has not betrayed you, has not left you, has consistently stood in the gap for you, and he's evidenced it in the work of Christ predominantly. And he says, this is who I am as a good shepherd. This is who I am as your father. We need to know this. David is amazing. David is saying, when you get this, you'll realize that you never lack, even in the dark valleys. 
you realize that you have a God who's with you. Um, This is why, if we're honest, um, we spend much of our Christian life praying for things that are already yours. I've said this a lot. I don't know if it's just just part of the culture we've grown up in, but, but we pray a lot of things that, I don't know if you realize this, you already fully have if you're a Christian. Um, so we'll, we'll sit around and we'll, our typical prayer might be, um, Lord, I just, I need strength, right? And the shepherd's going, um, I already promised you that, that I give you my full strength to accomplish all things that you put your task in your hands to do. It's mine in Christ. Well, I need grace then. Well, I already gave you grace in the cross of Christ. And I said it will be sufficient for all of your needs. I need peace then. Well, I, but I thought, I told you, I gave you the peace of Christ in the cross when I gave you my spirit. And I said that peace surpasses understanding. Well, I need love then. I mean, is there any way I could demonstrate love to you than laying down my life, having myself, my son slaughtered for your sin and rising back to life, ransoming you and reconciling you to the Father at his right hand and gifting you my spirit? Is there any, any way I could more show you my love, my affection for you? I've already showed you that. Right? We have all of these things. We are recipients of all of these things. Um, biblically, we need to learn to ask for wisdom, the Bible says. And wisdom will say it's kind of weird to ask for something that's already yours. So, so wisdom would say, help me to know my shepherd. Wisdom would say, man, help me to believe these things that are mine. Like, I don't, I don't need more. God is inexhaustible in what he's already given you. This is Philippians 4.19. My God will supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Here's what's amazing about that. I don't know if you, you study words, but according to is not like God is sitting up in heaven and going, oh, I'm a billionaire and I'll give you $10 of my billion. That's out of his riches. It says according to his riches. According to is every bit of his wealth. So that's the billionaire saying, take the billion. That's what he gives us. We become his sons and daughters. Like you're already a recipient of that. Do we believe that? This is this, is this good shepherd. Are you walking in Psalm 23 in that way? Number two, he's not only a good shepherd, he's a generous host. Verse five, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. I love it. This is not just him taking care of your essentials. Like, like, the language here is over the top. The generous host, he just rolled out the red carpet. Your cup's overflowing. He sets the table before you. Yeah, you got imagery of the, the future supper of the Lamb, but he's talking about these riches in Christ, this, this amazing affair. I think Isaiah says, delight yourself in the richest affair that's yours because you're God's, because you're his kids. Now, see, for some of us... Um, we don't receive this text because of a genuine misunderstanding of God's love for you and a genuine misunderstanding of God's affection for you. Listen, Zephaniah says, he doesn't say God shouts at you. It says he sings over you. Some of you guys feel like God's screaming at you. Instead, he's singing over you. There's gladness in his heart towards you as his kids. I mean, is that how you view God? Is that how you view your, your relationship with him? I mean, this is, this is mind-bending. This is Altering, this alters every bit of how you approach the Bible, by how you approach prayer, by how you approach relationship, about how, you, how you approach the things that he calls you to do and not do. This is necessary to begin to understand and walk in. 
But many of us, you can't even receive the text as it's being read to you because of a genuine misunderstanding of God's affection and love for you in Christ. And I'm here to tell you that he has already settled affection the day he brought you into his family. Like, like there's, there's not more to give in the sense of he's withheld from you. He's continually coming after you as the good shepherd and a generous host. And that's why when we start understanding God as a good shepherd and generous host, you don't run from him, you run to him. Right? That, that's the common thing. You're, you're, you're stuck in some cycle of sin or some, I don't know, some addiction, something you can't get out of. You don't want to confess. So what do we do? Run. I mean, don't, don't show up Sunday. Don't you dare talk to a fellow brother or sister about that. Don't you dare confess. Don't, man, this flips it on its head. We're, we're eager to confess sins as Christians. You know that? Like, I love confessing my sin. You want to know why? I got a God who's eager to forgive me of that sin. A God who's eager to give mercy. A God who's eager to say, hey, hey, Mike, come to daddy and let's talk. Let's chat. Let's, let's dialogue about how your heart is. And, and, and trust my heart towards you in the ways that I'll mend that and shape that. What an unbelievable reality for us as the people of God. But do we live like this under his good shepherding care? Um, children, right? Um, do they run to just grumpy people? <laughs> Like, do they run to people that are just, just, I mean, just look like the world has ended? They run to those who are elated with joy, right? They delight in running to those who are carefree and laugh and sweep them up in their arms. And man, that, that's, the, that's the imagery here. He's a good shepherd and a generous host that longs for us to be his children in that way. It's, it's profound. But who else is there? Your enemies. Isn't that interesting? Did you ever read, or maybe you just grew up in a one or something, memorize it, so you just, I don't know. Yeah, it makes a table before me, the presence of my enemies. I'm going, hold on a second. The presence of my enemies? Yeah, he rolls out the red carpet even in the presence of your temptations and your sin. They're watching you be treated as royalty because they have no authority over you. Isn't that Amazing. Hold on, hold on, hold on. That's my kid. That sin, that proclivity, that addiction, that, that doesn't condemn, that can't haunt, that can't cause unforgiveness, that can't cause unlove, that can't cause you out of my fold. I've got you, and I'm going to keep rolling out the red carpet, reminding you that you're mine. Profound in our struggle with sin, right? How encouraging is this, that we see the victories already at hand, that, that the power of this generous host is so great that these sins can no longer enslave us, they can only pester us, that they're in chains. It's so awesome seeing that picture here, but we struggle to believe this, right, because we look at the cup and go, that's all there is? The cup is half empty, and the psalmist says, no, it's overflowing if you know this generous host. It's always overflowing. There's always more mercy you haven't seen. There's always more love you haven't seen. There's always more forgiveness you haven't seen. There's always more spaces to him that you have not yet crept into, that you have not used your microscope on, that you have not searched out. There's infinite beauty and perfections of this God that you have not yet enjoyed. And he's a generous host that wants you to enjoy all of these things. So the problem is, though, when the enemy of temptation comes at us, we doubt he's a generous host. And so we engage with like some spiritual eating disorder and start eating toxic things instead of the meal that he's put before us. 
Is that you? That your eyes are off of him and they're on to something else, some lesser pleasure, some lesser love, some lesser enticement. Thinking that will buy you something that only he can provide you. That's the imagery here. His goodness, mercy, peace never stops coming at you. So he is a good shepherd. He's a generous host. And finally, he takes us to this glorious home. Verse 6. I can almost hear it since I was like seven. Surely goodness and mercy, right? I mean, this text is so familiar. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know about that word surely? Is it's, this, it's this word that's like, of course. <laughs> like, of course it's going to follow me all the days of my life. Of course. I mean, he's always been faithful. He's always protected me. He's always provided for me. He's always showed himself through. So, of course it's going to continue. Like, of course it's going to go on and on and on. Of course he's been a good shepherd. Of course he's been a generous host. So what's the rest of my look like? Life look like? Um, mercy and goodness also. In fact, he goes, it's going to get even crazier. I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Like, it's going to ripple into glory. Like, like this good shepherd who's a generous host so loves me and wants me to be so secure in him that he's not only going to provide for me here, he's going to ultimately prove that he'll redeem all things and lead me finally and fully into glory Will it will all be forever and a day with no sin at all. What a great promise for us. His goodness and mercy is chasing you down all the way to glory. I mean, we live in a day. I mean, how many people do you talk to who are excited about the future? <laughs> right? Think about your coworkers, neighbors. Aren't you so excited about the future? What are you, oh, no, man, the economy, government, hate all our officials. Everyone's a train wreck. No one knows how to operate. Everyone's in distress. Don't want to talk. Future's bleak. Our future's bright. Future ain't bleak. Yeah, we want to be burdened for justice that should be here and now, but we got a God that will enact final justice. We got a God that leaves no stone unturned. We've got that's fully in charge. He's not looking down going, I can't believe that earth is happening like this. He didn't do that with Adam and Eve. I can't believe you ate it. No, he had Christ ready. He covered them in animal skins. He's always working his plan for the glory of his name and good of our souls. So David is showing us as people shout and believe they're citizens here. Remember, our citizenship is not here. We know that he's carrying us. This good shepherd, this generous host is carrying us all the way to our glorious home. David's showing you know the real story, right? So we keep our eyes on that day where there's only going to be one headline in the news. Our God is reigning as king. Jesus has the crown. He has always had it, but we'll see it in its fullness. And there will be one headline and none other. Happiness, joy, elation, pleasure, glory. Hey, no one sinned today. Isn't that awesome? No one got shot today, isn't that awesome? Like, no one abused their wife or husband today, isn't that awesome? Like, like no one's hungry today in some third world, isn't that awesome? No, no one's squandering for finances today, isn't that awesome? No one's sick today, isn't that awesome? No one's lying on any hospital beds today, isn't that awesome? It's one headline. 
He's saying, man, we got to remember that that's where our shepherd is ultimately leading us and ultimately taking us, and his goodness and mercy leads us all the way there. Here's what it also does for us, for those of us in Christ. Anytime you get sick, anytime some day doesn't go as planned, anytime you feel betrayed, those times for you are gifts to remind you of what he's ultimately preparing for you as a generous host. That's why Romans 8 says we groan because we know that we don't want to be here and we want to be where we're not yet. It teaches that our hearts are wired that way. And this is why, man, I love the Bible's honesty. I mean, for all, for all the arguments against the Scriptures, the raw honesty in the Scriptures is what should draw you into the Scriptures. I mean, the Scriptures constantly say, rejoice in hope. Rejoice in hope. This means there will be circumstances that aren't pleasant, days that are bad and dark, right? But it says rejoice in hope, and it says in our rejoicing, in our gladness, it is not where we are, but in the promises that God has not abandoned you to our circumstances, and one day, whether it's a year, whether it's next week, whether it's this afternoon, whether it's five years from now, he will redeem all things, He promises, surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. That's a promise. No matter how dark your day is today, you can enjoy that if you're a son and daughter in Christ because we know what is coming. He will absolutely fulfill that promise where there is only one headline and there is only one type of day we know (laughs) where it's only smiles. Can you imagine that? Friends, Heaven is not you having wings, playing a harp. That is the most brutal picture of heaven. I mean, I I was taught that growing up. Like, I'm just flying around singing. How miserable is that? I mean, if you read the scriptures, man, they're talking about, man, you're going to work and never toil, though. You're going to eat yet never be hungry. Like, you're going to enjoy gladness. You're going to enjoy, you know, the, the affections of others in ways where it's never tainted. You're going to enjoy the glory of God where your whole being is centered in a place you never felt centered before. You're going to enjoy looking at landscapes in the New Jerusalem and world. It's amazing. And we can't wait to get there, so we groan. And we know His promise. That's why I've just been earnest to come here and just celebrate with you God's deep abiding care for you in Jesus Christ because it's so hard for us to believe that he actually feels this way about us because we know us, right? You know your secrets. You know as you sit in this room the things that you wish and you continue to hope no one will ever find out. It's hard for you to conceive that anyone could possibly continue to love you even in that with past mistakes or past regret or past guilt. It's impossible to conceive, possibly because part of it is you're projecting a reality on figures you had growing up where all you experienced was unforgiveness, betrayal, inauthenticity. Our God's not like that. He's a good shepherd who's a generous host who has a mission to securely and finally bring you safely all the way home. Do you know this good shepherd? So I want us just, I've just been earnest to come in here and enjoy him. I mean, when when Christ sees those of us who are in Christ, did you know that he sees something that belongs to him? You ever thought about that? Like you belong to him. 
This is why if you go to like John 10, beautiful picture of Jesus being called the good shepherd, the great shepherd of the sheep, you see this amazing imagery there where it'll say on the day of trouble, he'll never bail as your shepherd. Like as the wolves come of Satan, sin, death, and temptation, he's, he's gonna stand in the gap, he won't bail. And in fact, right, he's the great shepherd that laid down his life for the sheep. Isaiah says, we were all like sheep wandering on paths. We did not know how to go the right way. We were harming ourselves with sin. And, and he comes and he, he dies. He actually, his cup, right, he, he drank the full cup of judgment so our cup would overflow. It's to whet our appetite for what he will do in the future and to help us continue to drink from what he's already given us in the present and this good shepherd lays down his sheep and when he went to the cross of Christ and paid our debt in full and rose, he knocked the teeth out of the wolves that they can now, maybe they can snarl, they can bristle, they can, I don't know, come at us and and seem angry, but all they can do is gum you. They have no teeth. They can just try to pester your leg. You just kick it off. (laughs) You have no authority on me. You have no hold on me. You can't harm me. I'm a child of God. He's my shepherd. You seen my shepherd? <laughs> the one who's coming back with a sword? No one wants to talk about that. Armageddon, right? On a white horse. You know where my, my shepherd, yeah, he came nice and meek the first time. Wait till he comes the second time. He's, he's someone who stands with you and beside you and for you. Man, he's your champion that fights in your place. Not only for your sin, but every day as you battle temptation and wage the wars against your sinful flesh. What an amazing reality, an amazing thought. And I love this hesed mercy and goodness and love. It comes with the word hesed. Uh, it's, this, it's this love, this surely and good, goodness and mercy. That word's hesed. It has nothing to do with your lovability. That word is deep. It's this love that comes after you and keeps chasing you. And you see it in seed form in the Old Testament here, and it comes full bloom in the New Testament, right? Which is why John the Baptist, as he inaugurates the the ministry of Jesus, is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That he became like sheep, the shepherd, to redeem and reconcile us to himself, completely devoured by the wolves of the world, went to the deepest, darkest valley of death so that you wouldn't have to so that he could walk with you and beside you. What this psalm is telling us is that in his love, he's so in pursuit of us that it will ultimately cast out every other voice that's tearing you apart. He's saying, turn up the music of the gospel. Like when you're in the valley, whether you're beside still waters, like turn up, do you know how to do that? Like, like, like to, to read these truths and start bathing in them and walking in them and, and taking them away from what's familiar to foundational for you. Like getting around other brothers and sisters that encourage you in that way. Like getting in here to worship God, be reminded of these realities. Do you know how to turn up the music of this gospel? David's saying, turn this up so that the shepherd is so close to you, so clear to you, so near to you. John 10 will say, my sheep hear my voice and they know it's me. Like do you know when it's him talking to you? Do you know when it's him casting out lies? Do you know when it's him giving you truth? Do you know when it's him saying, hey, you're okay. He's calming anxiety. Do you know when it's him saying, hey, you're mine. You're, you're secure. Do, do you know that? Do you know how to turn up this good news of this shepherd who didn't let the cup pass but drank that judgment for us so our cup would overflow all the days of our life to where one day there will only be mountaintops and no valleys 
with one headline on the news and your cup will never stop overflowing because of what your good shepherd did for you. And in that day, you'll say, he really is my shepherd and I definitely don't lack. David Pallison, a great biblical counselor, strongly recommend you read any stuff that he writes, but he wrote an anti-psalm. So good. I just want to read it to you. Um, this is the anti-Psalm 23. This is what is true if these things are not true. Ready for this? Good, because I'm going to read it anyways. Psalm 23. I'm totally on my own. No one looks out for me or ever protects me. All I experience is a continual sense of need, and I'm always restless. I'm easily frustrated, always disappointed. I feel overwhelmed. It's like a desert where I'm always thirsty. My soul feels broken, twisted, and stuck. I can't fix myself. All I stumble down are dark paths. Still I insist I want to do what I want, when I want, how I want. Why don't things ever really work out? I'm haunted by the emptiness and futility, these shadows of death. I fear final loss. Death is waiting for me at the end of every road, but I'd rather not think about that. So I spend my life protecting myself. Bad things happen. I find no lasting comfort. Other people use me for their own ends. I can't trust anyone. No one is really for me except me. And even that's a lie. And I'm so much all about me, it's sickening. I belong to no one except myself. My cup is never full enough. I'm left empty. Disappointment follows me all the days of my life. Will I just be obliterated into nothingness? Will I be left alone forever, homeless, free-falling into void? Sartre said, hell is other people. I have to add, hell is also myself. It is a living death and then I die. That becomes reality when you construct reality from a lie. When someone else is the center of the story, though, who can never go away, Jesus, the I am. Crazy things change. All of a sudden, you're not the center of the story. It's replaced with Jesus as the center of the story, who's the good shepherd. And when you awaken and see who Jesus actually is as the good shepherd, everything in your life changes. Everything. If I were to go around and just talk about conversion stories, every one of us, no matter the difference in nuances, would say something similar to this transition from an anti-Psalm 23 to what it says is Psalm 23. It's powerful. You see the person whose care and ability you can actually trust, and you don't just know you can trust it, you actually experience his care. He's your shepherd. He's not just a shepherd. Stop looking at other people going, I wish that was my God. Wish that was my Jesus. He is your Jesus. Like, he is your shepherd. You're just having trouble believing these texts. You might need to cry out to God for him to help you get beyond your unbelief to believe that these things are actually for you. That this is your good shepherd. This is your generous host. He's taking you finally and fully to your glorious home. You believe this is ours. Can you believe Psalm 23 is in the Bible, that this is true for you and I? <laughs> Have you ever read it that way? Because that's the way it's meant to, be, meant to be read. 
See, the Psalm 23 captures what it feels like when Jesus Christ actually puts his hand on your shoulder. And you, and, you, and you feel him. That's the real Psalm 23. And you can sense him. You can know him. So I want us to end by just reading Psalm 23 together. If you have a Bible, you can just read it. It'll be on the screen if you don't have a Bible. But I don't want you just to read it. Not like Awana, not like Sunday school, if that were you. I want you to read it like this is actually true for you. I want you to read it thinking through like these things are actually yours if you are in Christ. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. (laughs) Friends, we find we don't lack when we come near to the good shepherd and realize he's my shepherd. Who's a generous host and discover that he ultimately has a mission to make us finally complete all the days of our lives in our glorious home. May God help us to believe this. Father, we need your help as a people right now. Father, thank you for giving us texts that are impossible to uh, conjure up affections about. God, we need your Holy Spirit to do something in us. We need you to fan into flame truth. We need you to send our eyes to a place that's higher to where it's like a magnet where our thoughts and affections are being pulled to where you're the focus and and understanding you is, is accurate. God, would you settle loneliness this morning? Would you settle fears? Would you settle dreams and hopes and cares? God, those of us that know you as our shepherd, who have trusted finally and fully in the work of Jesus Christ, would that great gospel be what continues to lead us beside still waters? Seeing how generous you were in that act of laying down your life for your sheep so that we might have the richest affair. We might see that goodness and mercy, surely that will follow us all the days of our life. You've never stopped being you. God, I do pray, though, that some of us might tremble this morning if we're not in Christ, if we don't know your saving work, realizing that life is despairing without the good shepherd. That, yes, life is hopeless. Life is meaningless. Our sin will need a payment. And that payment is everlasting separation from you. In agony, not being with you. God, would you save some this morning? Would you bring more sheep into your fold? 
Might some repent of their sin and acknowledge that they've been trying to be the good shepherd. They've been trying to be God. They've been trying to organize their own life. Realizing that is idolatry, which is sin. Sin being making anything ultimate above you. Father, we have all fallen short of that. All fallen short of giving you glory. So would you mend that? Would you restore our souls this morning? Restore some eternally for the first time in the saving work of Jesus and continue to restore those of us who are yours. And God, as we approach this table, I pray it would be so nourishing to us that this meal, we'd see the broken body and shed blood of Jesus and be nourished by this, remembering who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.